Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host, recording this uh, right after the Pistons managed to lose another game to the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic is a very impressive player. Uh, some guys in the Pistons didn't show up. And kind of a frustrating, for me, not particularly enjoyable game to watch. Uh, nonetheless, you know, it's another loss on Brutes to hopefully a high position in the draft lottery. So uh, this is, of course, second to last episode before the trade deadline, uh, that deadline being on the 9th, which would be uh, next Thursday. Uh, that would mean, you know, about 24 hours after, uh, actually probably about 36 hours after next week's episode would post. So I uh, might release that on Monday or Tuesday. We'll see. Uh, in any case, so uh, news I'll talk about today uh it came out from actually has come out from multiple sources uh including reliable sources there are a lot of unreliable sources out there uh, but uh, yeah we hear this one from james edwards and i don't remember who else but uh, that the pistons really the organization really wants to go on to not really pivot but really hopes to be in the playoff picture next year not just the plans but the actual playoffs so just going to talk a bit about what it would take to get there you know, how can the Pistons get there from this train wreck of a roster th- that they are this season? Uh, it, you know, it's a strong conference. You know, how are you going to realistically become better than, uh, well, you, I guess you're only becoming better than seven teams, but there are really there are very few bad teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, you've got the strong teams, of course, and the Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers. I mean, the Nets are real good. The Cavaliers are, are really a team on an upward trajectory. The Heat, you can never count out. And, you know, then you've got the Knicks, who are kind of so-so, the Hawks, whose future seems endlessly nebulous. And one thing I was thinking about when I was watching the game tonight was that, man, they absolutely lost that Luka trade. I mean, we all know how special a player Luka is, and uh, in a way that, that Trey Young cannot match. And, of course, the consolation prize for Atlanta, or really the other piece of that deal, was the, was the pick that became Cam Reddish. Needless to say, that uh, did not turn out particularly well for the Hawks. If I remember correctly, even the return for Reddish for the Hawks was a protected pick from the Knicks via the Hornets, who ended up missing the playoffs, as a result of which that pick, I believe, was actually Jalen Duran. It was either him or Mark Williams. And, of course, Duran that was uh, traded to the Pistons in that three-way trade between the Hornets and the Knicks and the Pistons. So, uh, whatever the case, uh, moving on from that, I mean, yeah, the Hawks are... It's always just a giant question mark there. but And then you've got up-and-comers like uh, the Magic, uh, who are looking very promising this season. you got the Pacers, who seem to be on an upward trajectory as well. Of course, you got to hope that Miles Turner stays uh, stays healthy in that situation. He's still tradable, by the way. He could be traded at the deadline. Uh, his extension is not subject to the, the six-month moratorium just because of how it was structured. And you know, you've got Halliburton over there. You've got Ben Matherin, who, who I think would be a good player. And you've got ownership that really doesn't like to be out of the playoffs. Uh, The Pacers have been kind of their own sort of treadmill team for a while, just losing early on in the playoffs. And then the Raptors, I mean, you can never really count the Raptors out. So my my point in going over all of this, and even the Hornets, like who knows? I mean, there was talk that they were going to bring Miles Bridges back on a reasonable deal. Who knows if they really have the the requisite lack of shame. Uh, But we'll see. But I mean, my point is that they're just a – there's a lot of competition in the East uh, for a playoff spot, and I think it'll stay that way. Who knows what'll happen with the Bulls? I mean, there's a, a case to be made that they should blow it up next season. 
Uh, we'll see. Again, boils down to ownership, and the Bulls' ownership is pretty questionable. And the Wizards are a treadmill team, uh, but they're a treadmill team that can compete for play compete for the playoffs. So, uh, what is it going to take then for the Pistons to become like a real playoff team in a conference in which you know next season it wouldn't be entirely outside the realm of possibility to have fifteen teams that are all trying to compete for the playoffs. I mean, just looking at these standings, I mean, it could get a bit crazy next season. Usually you have at least a tanker or two, and that could be the Bulls. Uh, I doubt it, but it could be the Bulls. But, I mean, you could legitimately have 15 teams, like zero rebuilders, zero, like, genuine rebuilders. Uh, because the Hornets, even if they don't get Bridges, I mean, say they get a really good player in this upcoming draft, they'll probably be back in the mix. Um, so you got four routes, as I see it. And I'll talk about those four routes, about how you can improve. And Pistons might utilize all of those. They might utilize one of those. And uh, I guess you never really know what's going to happen in the offseason. Number one, and this is the simplest, get a new coach. You guys don't need to listen to me talk about Dwayne Casey anymore. But I'll just repeat very, very very briefly what I said. I I hope, uh, because he seems like a good dude uh, who's uh, who's really good with the players and so on and so forth. I hope he moves into a front uh, front office role to which he is suited in the offseason. And that the Pistons bring on a coach who is better equipped to make optimal use of his players and win in in today's NBA. Uh, I'm not castigating Casey for not winning a lot of games with the with the current roster. Uh, however, I'd say the two things you know can exist can can exist concurrently that he can be a bad coach and at the same time the Pistons have a bad roster. And again, long history of Dwayne Casey's shortcomings as uh, as an NBA head coach. So. Replace the coach. Um, I kind of feel like it's fifty-fifty shot. Um, I've I've been I've heard. Um, I, I think it was when I had uh, Omari Senko was uh, was a guest in the show a while back and, uh, and and said that he thought, or maybe it was on Twitter. I, I'm pretty sure it was he who said this though that they actually wanted to give Casey a shot at coaching. Um, you know, at, at coaching the team, and it was further developed. Yeah, he said that he thought that Casey would uh, would be coaching through that one-year extension that he received that would bring him through next season. Hope it's not the case. I think that would be a very bad idea, uh, but we'll see. But uh, replacing Dwayne, Dwayne Casey with a better coach, that's one way to get better. Number two, and this is kind of a boring one, also almost certainly the most essential one for the Pistons, that is development. You know, we all hope that Cable will come back next season and we'll get on that superstar track that I know so many of us believe that uh, that he is capable of of being on for a long time. Uh, he's got some stuff that, like who know who knows how much his injury was hurting him this year. I mean, it was disappointing to come in and see him still having trouble shooting threes. I mean, he's got to be able to shoot threes, and I, I think he will be able to. I think he'll be a guy who's who's also able to shoot pull up threes. Like I could go on and on about Kate. I think he'll be a strong three level scorer. Who's extremely difficult to guard and, and very good at setting up teammates. Um, so, you know, Cade, I think, is the, is the number one piece of that puzzle, and, I, and I'm very confident in his development. You go beyond that to Jaden Ivey. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think it's going to take Jaden some time to really get it together. It's been a rocky rookie season, and I think you'll see some improvement next year. I think he will probably not come fully online, so to speak, until his third season. I'd be glad to be proven wrong. Uh, the guys really get a lot of things to work on, just in terms of uh you know, for, forgive me if you heard you've heard this already, but in terms of his shooting, of course we know that he's a pretty inconsistent three point shooter, um, with with a pretty soul release and questionable mechanics. Um, he he needs to refine his drive game. He just gets collapsed on now, and he can't make it to the basket. And driving should be his bread and butter. 
you know, with how athletic he is and, and how the, I would imagine the Pistons envisioned using him when he was drafted. So he's got to work on that. I mean, go back and watch his college tape. So much of, of his scoring off the drive was just him beating guys, beating bad NCAA defenders with, the, with his athleticism. I call them bad NCAA defenders because compared to the average NBA defender, the average NCAA defender is comically bad. Um, but in any case, I mean, his, his go-to move in the NCAA was taking the pole, turning on the afterburners, uh, just turning the corner to the right on, on a slow NCAA defender, blitzing to the basket, and, and scoring at the rim before the rim protection get there. It doesn't work in the NBA. He's got to work on that. Uh, he's got to work on his passing, uh, making those right reads and, and passes, and, and he's been improving at that. And tonight, to his credit, I mean, he was really taking advantage of uh, – the fact that when he, you know, when he jets in there, whether he does it from on or off the ball, he's going to attract attention, and he was throwing these bullet passes that were pretty accurate. So good for him. And uh, then just his overall decision making, um, and, and and that's something that just some players need to learn. Some players come in with very good decision making. Other players just need to learn. And his defense. I mean, his defense has been terrible. There's no doubting that. And hopefully, that's just a matter of development too. And Jalen Duran, of course, another important piece. I think has high defensive upside. And on offense can be just a strong role man. Uh, you know, he's got surprisingly good hands as far as catch- not surprising, whatever. He's got good hands as far as catching the ball. He's a vertical spacing threat. He's a strong dunker. Has to work on his layups, though lately he's barely even need to lay up the ball at all. And uh, yeah, on defense, got to work on his uh, on his decision making. Got to work on his reads. And he's, he's been weird about switch defense. Like at Memphis, he was able to get into a low stance and really move his feet well. He's generally been trying to stay with guys while standing upright. And it, it hasn't really been going too well for him on switches. But I think he'll get there. So a uh, guy I think could be uh, could be one of the best defensive centers in the league, you know, and capable at big man things on offense. Also, maybe unlock that passing. Uh, excuse me, traditional center things. Maybe unlock that passing as well, and who knows, maybe there's a jumper in there. He flashed some of that, especially off the, off the short roll at Memphis. Um, none of that is being used. Not the passing, not you know, not the not the possible jumper, uh, not the short roll at all. Um, say what you will about that. Um, doesn't exactly surprise me. Uh, I mean, the, the coach he's playing under is not really one to make use of all the assets of his players, whether or not, you know, you think that he should be trying those things with a player like Duran, uh, you know, at, at Duran's age. Casey is just is not going to make maximal use of, or maximum use rather, of, of all the assets of his players. It's just how it is. Uh, you go down to the three guys from the 2020 draft. Uh, it's possible that all three of them will end up being bench players. That's Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Sadiq, of course, has been the the most flummoxing thing about this season. Just absolutely confusing what's happened there. His defense has gone from serviceable to absolutely terrible. Uh, he's just found himself in between, uh, apparently in his own mind, it seems just there's a lot of indecision, just being in between two roles, like wanting to create uh, and, and then needing to shoot. And he does so much better when he's just, focusing on shooting. But uh, I know he was a guy whom many of us saw as a future long-term starter, and now that's in doubt. Uh, Isaiah, uh, I believe, is destined to be a long-term bench player with the Pistons. I hope he's a Piston for a long time because uh, I love his character, and I think he'll be able to contribute. I do not think that he's the power forward of the future by any means. Uh, you know, but Though it may have been kind of fun to see T and Duran playing together, I yeah, they haven't been a good duo. And I think Isaiah really suffers when he's forced to play power forward, particularly against starters. 
uh, even when he's hitting his threes. You know, like hitting your threes and attacking some closeouts is is like the bare minimum that you have to do as a perimeter that your average perimeter player is asked to do rather. And uh, on defense, he just has trouble covering ground, can't play weak side rim defense, and so on and so forth. So probably long-term bench player. Hope he's in the team for a while. But yeah, probably long-term bench player. And Killian Hayes, I, I think, is on trajectory to be to hopefully, hopefully, and, uh, and this will hinge upon his shooting remaining reliable enough and him becoming considerably more willing. And he has been doing so lately. I should note that. Uh, well, doing so, improving in this respect, but being willing to attack the basket and eventually hopefully able also to, to score at the rim. Um, but I think he could be on a trajectory to becoming a solid backup point guard in the NBA. Now, what do you think about having the number seven, the number 16, and the number 19 picks uh, and not getting a single starter out of them? I don't think that's ideal. Uh, you can say, yeah, well, it, it's super nice. You know, if you have those three picks and you get three rotation players out of it, um, you know, at the same time, you only have so many guys who are going to be playing for you off the bench. But, you know, who knows? Maybe you got some, maybe one of them is a trade asset. Uh, you have. Isaiah Livers, I don't think Livers is going to develop into much more than he is. I think he'll just be a reliable role player off the bench. You know, makes good decisions on both ends and hopefully can shoot threes at a high percentage. And, you know, then you've got you got a couple of guys, um, Kevin Knox, who may or may not be on the team next season. Knox has been pretty unimpressive. You know, he's had, he's had some decent stretches, uh, but, you know, for the most part, a low-impact player who kind of struggles on defense and, and pretty limited on offense, which is a shame because he's got really good size. He's got good size. He's got good athleticism. He's got a decent stroke from three. Uh, he's just doesn't strike me as a very uh, intelligent player by NBA standards. And uh, then finally, Hamadou Diallo. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know what I think Hamadou could be if he can shoot. Uh, if he can't shoot, then, you know, depth player on a bad team. That would be huge if he became a shooter. I don't even know if he's going to be on the team next season, though. So anyway, this is just development. Development is probably, is arguably, the number one most important thing for the Pistons at this point as far as improvement goes. And there's no, realistically, in my opinion, well, you can predict, put it that way, you can make your guesses, and I think you make educated guesses. But uh, when it comes to Cade and Ivy, I mean, that that's really the, the high upside talent the Pistons need, and we'll see if it happens. Or put it this way, that they are the highest upside young talent on the team. Um, Duran, I think could be very impactful. I don't think he has the ceiling that they do, particularly, you know, in today's NBA where, um, where elite creators are, you know, the highest form of currency. So, uh, option number three, or excuse me, not option number three, but avenue number three, uh, is free agency. Now you may have noticed that free agency has been getting less and less interesting, uh, for years now. The last exciting free agency was 2019. When uh, Kawhi went to the Clippers, uh, KD and Kyrie went to the Nets. Uh, I mean, I don't think in, in free agency we've had a single kind of big fish change hands since then. Uh, free agency is growing boring for a reason. So restricted free agents will almost invariably resign with their teams. Uh, sometimes you will see, but, well, good restricted free agents rather. And uh, sometimes you see it's a sign and trade. Like, for example, um, how Alonzo uh, Ball and, and Devontae Graham got swapped for each other. But for the most part, good RFA stayed with their team. And good players, um, basically, you know, unless they hate where they are, uh, they will re-sign with their current teams. And if they do hate where they are, they'll get traded to, you know, to a team where they are willing to re-sign. 
It, it's just it's increasingly rare for good players to hit free agency. Uh, Zach Lowe and um, Bobby Marks, I think I mentioned mentioned this in the last episode, did an episode about this back sometime in 2021, I believe, uh, just about the, you know the era of extensions that it was largely concerning players, ex- star players. It's basically okay. I'll sign an extension, and uh, I've got nothing to lose because if I like it, I'll stay here, and if not, I'll just demand a trade. And we'll see how that works for players and under the next CBA because I don't think the owners want to put up with it anymore, and uh, I don't think the the league front office considers considers that a you know that that sort of player empowerment and as far as just being able to force a trade, I don't think the the league front office considers that good for uh, for the business either. Uh, that's a different story. Uh, we'll see soon enough, but. Just, yeah, the upshot is that not many good players hit free agency anymore. And this summer is really no exception. So, like, you look at the top of the list. I mean, Kyrie Irving, almost certain to stay in Brooklyn. Uh, James Harden, virtually certain to stay with the with the Sixers. Uh, you know, he's got a player option. Um, he'll probably decline, though. Who knows? Uh, Chris Middleton, very likely to stay with the Bucks. I mean, top top of the list, any list you look at, because they're almost all sorted by salaries. Russell Westbrook, who requires no explanation at this point, not a winning player anymore. Uh, the highest paid bench player in the history uh, of the earth. Like Porzingis, who knows where he'll go. Um, that guy's just way too injury prone for anybody to really rely upon him. And you just go down the list from there. Like, you know, Kevin Love, you know, bench player for the Cavaliers, 34 years old. Uh, D'Angelo Russell. It could very well be like the best player who changes hands in free agency, though I, I figure that the Timberwolves would rather just trade him the deadline if they think that that's what's going to happen to a team that'll that'll presumably resign him. Uh, Vucevic, not a great player anymore. Probably stay with the Bulls unless they blow it up. You go on down the list, like Jeremy Grant is like may end up being like the best player in free agency, and Portland would be insane not to resign him. So. The fact is, it's it's pretty difficult. It's going to be pretty difficult for the Pistons to improve in free agency. It'd be pretty hilarious if they ended up signing Jeremy Grant to like a max deal. I don't think that would necessarily be the greatest idea, but uh, and I think it's pretty unlikely. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, it, it's it's going to be tough for the Pistons to find any big fish in free agency. They're going to have a lot of cap space. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should just go ahead and blow that cap space. However, I mean, they'll really have one last chance in twenty twenty four. Or uh, pardon me. Uh, they'll have one last chance really in 2025. Uh, but 2024 is when, if you're going to pay uh, any combination of Bay, Stewart, and Killian Hayes, you'll have to do that. That's going to take some cap off your hands. Uh, 2025, that, that's really going to be where you're going to have your last shot because you're going to want to sign guys before you almost certainly sign, hopefully, K to a max extension. And that's going to really bite into your cap space. Uh, and maybe you'll have those other guys in the books as well. So... Yeah, I I don't think the Pistons should, you know, and I don't think they'll do this because this is a it's a terrible idea to do it. And not only that, but I mean they've got two really good instances of it in the past, or really three, I guess. Uh, two of them with Dumars of guys just saying, "Oh, have cap space," you know, use cap space. Uh, I guess just two, uh, Dumars in, in 2009 and 2013. 2013 he was desperate, but for the most part, you look at you looked at Dumars and you could know that if he had cap space, he was just going to use it. Period. You know, on guys who may not, may or may not deserve it, like day one contracts for Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon that nobody else was going to offer. Day one contract for Josh Smith to play small forward. Uh, yeah, that all seems like kind of a, um, I was going to say a bad dream, but that would be a bit pretentious for me to say because I wasn't really watching the Pistons at the time. I was keeping track of them, but not watching them. 
And then I was going to mention Stan Van Gundy in 2016, but, uh, you know, when he signed John Lewis to a $40 million deal, I mean, that was day one of free agency, like the stupidest free agency in NBA history. Or maybe that's exaggerating, but stupidest free agency in a very long time. And they had that uh, cap jump. I don't remember if it was $24 million or $27 million from the new TV deal. And a bunch of players just got ridiculous contracts they did not deserve. So John Moore got $40 million. That was a dumb contract. As one of these players whom Stan Van Gundy just liked. Uh, Lang- Langston Galloway is another. Just got contracts they didn't deserve. Uh, can you shoot threes, John Moore? You have to be able to shoot threes. Well, we don't know if you can shoot threes. Uh, we're going to pay you anyway. Um, and, oh, well, it turns out you can't shoot threes. Well, that's a shame. Uh, Ish Smith, he only got $18 million, but uh, over three years, and he turned out to be serviceable enough. You know, pretty good for his first year. All right in his second, and then pretty bad in his third. Um, but whatever the case, just what I come back to is you know, like the, just the philosophy that you should go in and just spend because you have the cap space on guys who may not deserve it. I think that's a terrible idea. I think the Pistons, if they are not able to somehow use that cap space i mean maybe they use it in a trade i'll talk about that next but if they go in with all that cap space and there's just nobody worthy of it uh then i think you just sign some one-year contracts and just circle back the next year though realistically it's unlikely to be uh, much better or i don't really need to say it's unlikely to be much better you can just go look at the list at this point um but you know there'll be some decent guys assuming they don't re-sign with their team who knows this is just a little bit too difficult to predict. There will be a lot of like 30 plus guys who, you know, who were pretty good in their time. Like Clay Thompson. I mean, Tobias is on a really bad in a contract and not a great situation for him in Philly. Uh, Middleton, if he picks up his option. Uh, Siakam is somehow 30 years old or will be, excuse me, next summer. And, uh, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Man, a lot of former all-stars here. Uh, to where we're now in their uh, their early will be in their early to mid and some some cases in their late thirties next summer. Anyway, I digress. So I, who knows? Maybe I could be surprised this summer. Um, and and the Pistons end up like resigning Grant or not resigning and end up signing Jeremy Grant, which would, again, which I think would be hilarious. That would be pending the outcome of the draft, of course, because the Pistons could easily grab a good forward there. And. Uh, and we've heard that the Pistons want to keep uh, Bogdanovich going into the next season unless they get a really good offer. So uh, presumably he'll be starting and yada, yada, yada. Um, my point is just don't don't really get your hopes up for a big free agency splash because there's hardly anybody who, you know, who's any, there's hardly anybody as far as big names who's available. Uh, particularly, you know, the Pistons would really just be looking for, for somebody at forward, assuming they don't get that guy in the draft. Um, and uh, I said four methods. I uh, should have meant five. Uh, because there's the draft that's also extremely important. Let's say the Pistons win the draft lottery, and anybody who wins the draft lottery is drafting Victor Wembanyama, and uh, that uh, would be a very, very big boost for the Pistons. If that, it's probably going to be a 14% shot at it. Ends up being a guy who could be an absolutely generational talent, and uh, that's a term that's used too often. But there is nobody in the NBA who is like Victor, and there has not been, I think, ever. Um, he's got some stuff to work on, but. Yeah, I think the only thing that's that's really going to get in his way in the NBA is, is health. I mean, being that tall and that mobile, that combination uh, can be a little hard in the body. Um, but, you know, hopefully the Pistons are looking at a top five pick. And uh, I, I just want to mention, since I've seen like some what I feel like is maybe not the greatest logic around this. So, yeah, you only get a maximum of 14% chance. However, you, you know, the... 
the lower you are in the lottery, put it that way, talking lower as in, you know, five being lower than two, the more you can fall. Uh, and you do not want to fall if you're number one, uh, the furthest you can fall is fifth. So uh, in any case, I mean, if the Pistons fall outside the top two, and if, if they're number two, that'll be interesting, you know, an interesting question because, uh, you know, a Scoot Henderson guy who presumably is going to really be operating at time with the ball in his hands. Cade, who's a guy who's at his best with the ball in his hands. Ivy, who's going to want the ball in his hands. I mean, you could say you draft him and just deal with it later, uh, or you make another team really pay for a lot of it. But uh, if the Pistons fall outside the top two, I mean, I imagine uh, you are probably looking at uh, Brandon Miller or Cam Whitmore. I haven't done a ton of research yet, but enough to, to know a little bit about these guys, uh, guys who can slot in it forward. Uh, you won't really be drafting for need at that point because, you know, after the top three, uh, top two rather, you know, arguably your your next four between the Thompson brothers who can't shoot uh, and Miller and Whitmore, you know, at, at this point, yeah, basically three through six are all, are all uh, well, uh, I guess when it comes to, uh, let me, let me reiterate that. I mean, uh, Amen Thompson is, is more of a, uh, a handler. I don't really know what I was uh yeah, so I was I was wrong about that, but uh, he could play at that at that position. You, you know, he could play it forward. Though it's the same situation with Cade. You don't. You'd rather have that size mismatch at guard. Uh, so to uh, kind of correct what I said, so three of the top six, you know, and then three of the guys who will go between uh, between three and six are forwards. So draft obviously uh, a potentially very very good way for the Pistons to improve uh, if they manage to be in that top six. Then. You know, solid chance you'll end up with a forward. Um, I guess I didn't really think about that too much because there's this thing called the draft lottery involved, uh, and that can either be very, very extremely exciting as it was in 2021. That was an amazing moment when the Pistons pick uh, got the first overall pick. It was just an incredible moment. And then there was 2022 when the Pistons dropped to fifth. So, yeah. Now a quick word from our sponsor. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get no sweat, same game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in and place the same game parlay in any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you get a free bet back. For example, you could bet on the upcoming tank bowl between the Pistons and the Hornets, if you're a masochist. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. And uh, then you look at your final avenue, and that is trade. So uh, I'll explain the Pistons situation because I've seen that there's a lot of confusion around it. So at first, let me give some background. There is a clause in the CBA called the Stepien Rule. Uh, it's named after... I believe his name was Ted Stepien, who was GM of the Cavaliers a long time ago. But he just kept trading first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick in bad trades. Uh, so basically, not only were the Cavaliers not doing well, but they had no first-round picks. So uh, the league made a rule. I don't remember exactly when this came into effect. Uh, anybody who wants to know, I guess Google it. <laughs> um and it's okay. I, I just paused and looked it up. But it seems to have been instituted in the mid-80s. And Stepium is actually the owner of the Cavs. He wasn't a manager. I wasn't general manager, rather. Uh, whatever the case, the Stepium rule says that you cannot be without a guaranteed first-round pick in any two upcoming years. And I should note that the furthest ahead you can trade a pick is seven years. Uh, but in any case, yeah, you, you cannot be without a pick in 
in any of in consecutive years or without a guaranteed pick in any of those uh in any of those seven years so basically the situation the pistons are in so uh, they traded away a protected first round pick uh, in november of 2020 pick that became isaiah stewart uh, they received a first round pick in return but uh, they sent out a, a pretty heavily protected first future first as well and uh, that pick remains protected until 2027 again seven years was the was the furthest ahead they could trade a pick so 2020 2027 and uh, for the remaining years it's protected one through 18 in the upcoming draft one through 18 in 2024 one to 13 in 2025 one to 11 in 2026 and one to nine in 27 and if they haven't conveyed the pick by 2027 then it just becomes the uh 2027 second round pick uh, the pistons pick so uh, what this means so two things uh, well, the first and the more important, the Pistons effectively do not own that pick uh, until, well, until such a time as the, the pick actually conveys or doesn't convey. Uh, the Knicks own this pick, and uh, it will it belongs to the Pistons basically once the either the end of the season or the draft lottery demonstrates that the Pistons actually own the pick because it falls within the protected range. So the Pistons cannot trade it. Like period. Um, uh, also, you know the Pistons. Excuse me, the Knicks. Uh, effectively, you know, owning the pick means that the Pistons, again, in effect, just cannot be guaranteed a first round pick throughout that entire time. So, like in the first place, the Pistons couldn't trade a pick, the pick, even if they wanted to, um, because it's uh, because it is protected by, excuse me, it is owned by New York. Um, but you know, let's say uh, New York, well, whatever. Basically, I don't need to get into that. The Pistons can trade a twenty twenty nine first. Uh, at this point, they'll be able to trade a twenty thirty first at the draft. Uh, even then, you know, you couldn't do both. Uh, 2029 is the first pick the Pistons would be able to, yeah, the reason that they wouldn't be able to trade their 2028 because they have no guarantee of having a pick in 2027. So again, 2029 is the first that they can pick, that they could draft, or first pick that the first, first round pick they can trade at this point. And then they could not trade both 2029 and 2030. It's very, very unusual for a team to you know, like trade a, an unprotected pick, for example, that, that that's that far ahead. But just trading picks that far ahead is, is dicey because you just never know what your team's going to be, where your team's going to be at that point. Uh, I suppose that's what protections are for. Uh, whatever the case, though, if the Pistons wanted to trade like a 2029 and a 2030, like in, in a big trade, they wouldn't be able to. So the upshot of all of this is that, you know, after all that rambling is that the Pistons cannot make this sort of big trade right now that would, uh, you know, because the, the sort of big trades for, uh, either like a disgruntled star or a star from a team that wants to rebuild, they can't do it because, or at least if that team wants picks and first round picks, like multiple first round picks, are almost invariably a an aspect of any you know major trade for like a big name player, and like you saw this season, uh, this last off season rather, uh, really the price that was set for Donovan Mitchell, and of course the Timberwolves paid a stupid price for Gobert, but. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at like three plus first round picks, you know, for a good player alongside some some good young players. So, and the upshot of all that is that the Pistons at this point, unless you see some fancy footwork, are just not going to be able to, you know, trade those first round picks. They could like conceivably just from uh, renegotiate the protections with the with the Knicks and allow that pick to convey in 2024. And uh, I mean, there's some other you know footwork you can do. For example, like you can. You can make a trade that says that has a clause that says, okay, two years after this pick conveys, like the, this this other pick will go out. It's not very common though. 
So it's going to be tough for the Pistons to make like a, you know to make a trade for like a third star again. You hope that Cade and Ivy are the other two stars. Um, you know there are some trades that can be made. Maybe you make a trade for just a pretty good player again. What are you giving up? You don't have you know unless you want to give up a pick seven or eight years from now. Uh, excuse me, well seven years from now. Uh, so that twenty twenty nine or the twenty thirty once you get to the draft. And, and you know in other teams. You know, those picks, again, are very long in the future. Other teams, some teams may be just willing to roll the dice, but a lot of other teams would rather have, you know, some nearer-term draft assets coming back. If you look at the Pistons' actual, like, tradable assets in terms of players, I mean, I guess you could see Ivy go out conceivably. Kate is untouchable. Um, man, when I was talking about development, I completely forgot Marvin Bagley. That speaks to really how little I think of him. Or it's his odds of being, like, a good NBA player. I uh, hope I'm wrong, but... You know, assuming you're not trading Ivy, you're not trading Cade. And I mean, so it should be noted that you can trade your pick at the draft. Like uh, you just, in order to get around that rule, basically your team makes the draft, you makes the draft pick and then trades it afterward. The second you make the draft pick, the clock is reset. That's now a past draft and it's only future drafts that matter with respect to the stepping in rule. Um, so, you know, you've got that upcoming pick or, you know, maybe a, maybe a pick at the draft uh, in the following year. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, and we're talking about this season, and I'd, I'd say that the, the chances of the Pistons trading their first-round pick are, are very, very slim. Unless there's like a perfect opportunity and the Pistons are drafting like fifth or sixth. So then if you're not trading Cade and you're not trading Ivy, I mean, you're, your best assets and you're not trading your pick, your best assets in this situation are Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and Killian Hayes. And... Again, I mean, you're, you've got Boyan in the picture, the Pistons apparently, you know, by... Well... Let's put it this way. I mean, if a team is trading a star, it's generally going to be the star who's either disgruntled. It's either that the star is disgruntled or this team is pivoting to a rebuild. Like maybe Boyan is interesting in the former case. Boyan is completely uninteresting in the latter case, except to flip further. Yeah, for for what that's worth. Uh, you know, he's, he's the Pistons' other big trade asset. But, but just what I'm saying is the Pistons don't really have the firepower at this point to pull off a blockbuster, to pull off a really big trade. You can pull off a trade, you know, for but, uh, you know, you'd really be looking at like, you know, if you're hoping for Ivy and K to be your number one and number two guys, I mean, you're, it's just questionable. There's, there's always the capacity for trades, but it's just questionable whom the Pistons could really acquire at this point. So uh, those are your four means, or five means rather. Uh, the draft, of course, you're going to get somebody, hopefully somebody good, you know, hopefully somebody really, really good. And that's presumably going to be a viable means for improvement. Development, we can hope for a certain amount of that. Uh, you know, and also hope for good health. Of course, the Pistons have had had terrible luck with it this season. You know, you have your best player, your ostensible best player missing the entire season or almost the entire season. You can get yourself a better coach that I'm confident in whether the Pistons will do it or not or just, you know, go with, yay, let's be really nice to Dwayne Casey and let him finish out with the, some semblance of the team that we're hoping to ultimately build. Uh, free agency, uh, I don't expect it to be very exciting. And... Uh, yeah, that that basically is it. So it it should be interesting, and the Pistons could could do a lot of things right and still miss the playoffs. And but what's likely to be an ultra competitive Eastern Conference? But I mean, you look at the the degree that the Pistons will need to improve. It's it's conceivable that they're getting a little bit ambitious. I mean, granted, this we've got a bit of a mess of a roster this season. Still don't have a good coach. Kate is missing. Pistons are on pace to win like low twenties in games. Like at this point, I think it would be 20. They're on a 20 game, uh, on pace to win 20 games. I d- didn't really do the math in my head, but uh, I d- didn't really do the, the, the math exactly. 
but you know, like 20, 21, uh, 21 games, I think would be it actually. Maybe 22. So if you look at a threshold at which, I mean, you've got to at least be a 500 team, then, you know, and, and that could be the case because there's going to be a lot of parity. There is a lot of parity this year already, and there will presumably be even more next year, or at the very least as much. Then if you're looking at a 500 season, the Pistons are going to need to double their wins. Getting Cade back will help. Presumably some development will help. Presumably the draft will help, though you've got a young player coming to the NBA, and often it takes those players time to go home. It's really time to come online. Transition to the NBA is difficult for a lot of players. Uh, you're you're looking at really needing to win a great deal more games, put it that way. And it's pretty rare to, you know, regardless of circumstances, to see a 21 increase in a single season. And if you get that 21, sure, you at this point, sure, if you get in the playoffs, you're just happy to get there. That you're probably going to have to win. Uh, you're probably going to have to win a playing play game or two to get there. Um, but if you're one of those lowest seeds, then you go up against one of the powerhouses of the conference. And there could there are five teams that are fully capable of being powerhouses next season, uh, between you know the Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Nets, and Cavaliers. Uh, so you're setting yourself up to probably be stomped on, most likely. Uh, the team with a lot more talent in the NBA almost invariably wins in the playoffs. It's not like hockey where you can just have a hot goaltender and get some puck luck or everything comes together for you. Um, but I guess that's not probably going to be of great concern to the Pistons next year. If they make the playoffs, they'll just be happy for it. And goodness knows nothing's going to be worse than that Buck series from 2019. Uh, this is just all to say that it's it's interesting to hear that, that the front office is really planning to push hard for the playoffs because there is a limited amount that can be done. It's going to be hard to make a, a very meaningful trade. Uh, it's going to be hard to really improve in free agency. The draft is, you know, you, who knows about the coach? I mean, your best bets for improvement are, are development and the draft. And then, you know, maybe you add some veterans. And and then you have to you have to take all of that and, and compete in a, in a very competitive conference that's the strongest it's been in a very, very long time. So it, it'll be interesting to see. It's surprising to me that, that this is the... This is the information that's coming out because that's really asking for a big step. I hope that doesn't mean that Tom Gores is getting involved again. He has a long history of meddling. It has never been positive meddling and has invariably been negative. He was the reason why the Pistons didn't rebuild for nine years. I went over that in the last episode. Uh, he has blessedly been, by all accounts, very hands-off since, you know, like halfway through, since like the 2019-2020 season. When it, it just became when when he had uh, an epiphany of some sort and realized that uh, things were just absolutely not working out the way that that the Pistons had been doing them, and that you need to to rebuild and get good talent. Uh, he said last year at some point that yeah we're losing a lot and it's probably best that we're losing a lot at this point. Certainly a reference to the draft. I mean that was huge, <laughs> huge to hear him say that. Uh, he's preached patience uh, again. That was that in that same press conference as he said it's best for us to probably best for us to be losing. I wouldn't put it beyond the realm of possibility that he's getting a little bit impatient, but I think that that would be very, very bad. I would signal that Tom Gores is back to meddling and, and may push some for some decisions that uh, could be positive in the short term, but not positive for the long term. And uh, it, Gores himself said, you know, we don't want to be competing for the seventh or the eighth seed every year. Uh, I, I think it's more important to say, and sure, that's true. I mean, that was an important revelation for him. I think it uh, is more pertinent to say that the Pistons should be should have their eyes on winning a championship, and short-sighted moves are, of course, not generally the way to do that. So uh, that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, want, as always, to thank all of you for listening. We'll catch you in next week's episode.